So I don't know about a lot of you, but during these last two years, and I've been trying to social distance and try to stay safe and not going out as much, I've watched a little more TV than normal. In fact, these last two years, I've probably watched more TV than I have in other, any other two-year period of my life. And I've found there is no shortage of things to watch on TV. I mean, at any given time, any channel, you can find whatever you're looking for, that there's a channel for it. I mean, there's channels like Fox News and CNN that they have talking heads with news every minute of every day. They have channels like ESPN that there's sporting events or highlight shows 24 hours a day on, on, a, on a roll. We have a soap opera network. We have home shopping networks, movie channels galore, and even more channels that are showing some sort of programming in between all of those. Now, when I'm watching TV, I'm usually watching some sort of sporting event or a movie. And then there's like three shows that my wife and I watch. Other than that, I don't really watch a whole lot of TV. Except every once in a while, something will come across my TV and I'll stick around and watch. There's one type of genre of TV shows that I didn't mention before. And it's the game show. I love a good game show. You know, one of my favorites is Jeopardy. Actually, truth be told, one of my favorites is Kids Jeopardy, because I can get more questions right. <laughs> but I like Wheel of Fortune. I like Price is Right. I like Let's Make a Deal. Now, those, all those shows have been on the air for quite a while. Price, and, Price is Right and Jeopardy are actually older than I am. They've been on the air since 1972 and 1964, respectively. Wheel of Fortune has been a television mainstay, being on the air since 1983. One producer was quoted as saying, if you can find a good game show, it can literally last forever. And game shows are great because the basic premise of the game show is, if you do this, you get this. Look at Jeopardy. If you can answer more questions right than the other two contestants, you get the prize money. In Wheel of Fortune, if you can solve more puzzles than the other two contestants, you get the prize money or trips or, or whatever they're giving away. Whatever the game show is, the basic premise is if you do this thing, whether it's answering trivia questions or solving puzzles or some sort of challenge, then you get this, prize money or some other type of prize. It could be a pool table, could be a trip, could even be a brand new car. If you can do this thing, you get this. And I think this premise is so entertaining because we use it in other aspects of our life. I mean, at work, if we show up and we do our job, we get our salary. If we show up late or don't show up at all or we don't do our job, we'll be let go. Outside of work, there's a lot of different businesses that have punch cards. If you buy nine drinks, you get the 10th one free. You walk into a lot of clothing stores or shoe stores, they're, they're BOGO. 
You know, if you buy one, you get one free. Our, our, if we drive over the speed limit and we're caught, we'll get a ticket. If we're caught breaking the law, we'll be arrested. Our lives are built on the same premise as a game show. If you do this thing, good or bad, you'll get this. We like it this way. It's easy for us to understand. If we know the rules going in, we have a better chance of doing what we're supposed to do. And that's how most of our life is based. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we can start to see that bleed into our faith as well. When we look at how to be a Christian, we, we have certain things that we need to focus on. We have to accept Jesus. We, we have to pray. We should get baptized. We should read the Bible. We need to show love to, to God. We need to love God and love others. We should tell people about Jesus. And if we do these things, then we'll have a pretty good chance of getting the reward. Remember last week we talked about this glorious inheritance. If we do these things, we'll get this inheritance of living with Jesus and God in heaven. I mean, that's, that's the deal that God laid out for us, right? If we do these things, then we get this. So the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And we've gone through the entire first chapter. And we've been looking at Paul explaining why. Why should you worship Jesus? Why should you follow Jesus? And last week, we saw that Paul was kind of being a cheerleader. He was telling the, Ephes the people of Ephesus, he was telling them, you're doing a great job. You know, these things that I taught you to do, you're doing great. And if you keep on doing those, man, you stand a pretty good chance of getting this reward at the end. And then he also reminded us who the leader of the church is. For those of you that were here last week, who is the leader of the church? Jesus, right. So today we're going to dive into chapter 2 of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Ephesians chapter 2. If you want to use the pew Bibles there in front of you, Ephesians 2 starts on page 1156. If you don't have a Bible at home and you would like one, I actually just had a couple of Bibles donated to me. Brand new, still in the box. If you want a Bible, let me know. I will hand it to you before you leave today. No questions asked. So starting with verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So Paul is reminding the people of Ephesus, when you first started out, before you believed, this is where you were. You were a dead man walking. Today, you're not doing everything that you should be doing, but back then, before you believed, you weren't doing anything that you were supposed to be doing. But realistically, you didn't know any better. You know, I heard a story of this mom and this little boy, they were walking through this department store shopping. And, you know, mom's looking at something and something catches the little boy's eye. And he goes to, to look at it, picks it up off the rack, and he turns around to show mom. And mom is gone. 
And he looks one way, looks the other, and just at that time, a security guard comes walking and sees this little boy, gets down on one knee, gets down on the boy's level, and he says, hey, buddy, are, are you here with your mom or dad? And he nods his head, and the security guard kind of looks around. He says, why don't you come with me? I want to show you something really, really cool. So they go back in the security office, and the security guard shows this little boy this huge bank of televisions. He says, look at this. I can see the whole store just from right here in this chair. It's a nice comfy chair. Why don't you go ahead and sit in there? So the boy's sitting in there, and he starts kind of spinning around in the chair, and the security guard gives the little boy a cookie from his own lunch. The little boy is just having a great time. He's having the time of his life, giggling and, you know, joking around with the security guard. And just then, the security office bursts open, and mom comes running in, tears streaming down her face, obviously out of breath. And the little boy sees her, and immediately his mood changes. He went from giggling and laughing to he started crying himself. Now, what was different? What changed from one second ago when he was spinning around giggling to all of a sudden he's crying and clinging to his mom? You see, he didn't know he was lost until he was found. And that's what Paul is talking about. That's what he's telling the people of Ephesus. They had no idea that they were separated from God. They were just living their lives in sin. They were just doing what everybody else is doing, living in the ways of the world. And you know, one of the most damaging things that Satan can do is convince an unbeliever everything's fine. You don't need God. You're not, your life isn't in crisis like all those other people. You're fine. You only get two days off a week. Why would you use one of those to wake up early and go to church? You don't need God. And then unfortunately, a lot of times, some of us Christians, we kind of start to pile on on that. We're telling these people that they're living their lives in sin. And they're doing everything all wrong. And then we get in kind of an us versus them mentality. We see these things that are wrong in someone else's life. And we see everything that they aren't doing. They aren't going to church. They aren't reading the Bible. They aren't praying. Obviously, they're not going to win this final prize that we're going to get for doing everything that we should be doing. They're not holding up their end of the deal that God laid out. But as we jump back into our passage today, Paul reminds us that when you are pointing at somebody, you got three fingers pointing right back at yourself. He writes in verse 3, All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were deserving of wrath. All of us. Not just the people outside this building. All of us. I know for me, this is definitely true. I didn't meet Jesus until I was 18 years old. And when I look back at some of the things that happened before I met Jesus, there were some rough patches. I mean, I'm not saying that there weren't rough patches after I met Jesus, but back then, 
I didn't know I was doing anything wrong. Now we need to understand that when Paul writes, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, he's talking about humanity, about all sin. He's talking about lying. He's talking about stealing. talking about adultery. Every single sin. There's no sin better or worse than the others. All of those sins have separated us from God. And he's talking about all of them. And Paul is telling the Ephesians, and us too, nobody is perfect. And we all have a past. So Paul is really painting a happy picture, isn't he? (laughs) But here's the thing. The very next word that Paul writes changes everything. Yes, things look really, really bad. Yes, all of us, people inside this building and outside this building, have done a lot of bad things, and we all have a past. We are all subject to God's wrath and judgment. But, Paul writes, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. What I'm, I'm going to read that again. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Remember how Paul started out this chapter? All of us were lost. We had no hope. We were all dead. But God looked at us his children, and he knew that there was, that we had no way that we could help ourselves. We could never be good enough to spend eternity with him. There's no way we could get ourselves there. I mean, think about it. There is actually 613 laws and commandments that each person has to follow perfectly every single day to be perfect enough to get ourselves to heaven. But even if it wasn't 613, what if it was just the top two? You know, Jesus said the two most important commandments are to love God and love people. Could any of us say, yep, got it covered. I pray all the time. I love everybody. I've never even had a bad thought about anybody. I smile in traffic. Everything's fine. Because I'm sure that the answer for everybody else and me included is no God had to find a way to be able to live with us and still be accountable to sin. God didn't just say, oh, it's okay. I know you didn't mean it. We'll just sweep that one under the rug. Nobody will know. No, somebody had to pay for our sins. Someone had to die. That's the cost of sin. So God sent him knew no sin, to become sin, to make us right with him. And as Jesus was hanging on the cross as our sacrifice, the last word out of his mouth was to talistai. It's a Greek word that's used by, uh, it's used by shopkeepers and business owners back in biblical times. And the word literally means paid in That's what they would write on receipts 
when somebody had paid something. And those were the last word, that was the last word out of Jesus' mouth. That means that our sins have been taken care of. We don't have to worry about them. When Jesus died, so did all of our sins. Paul says that we were made alive in Christ. Just like we talked about last week, remember that that power that brought Jesus back from the dead, it's alive in us as well. And we aren't dead anymore. We are alive in Christ. And while that's very important to remember, that is a tenet of our faith that we need to hold on to. Even more importantly, is we didn't do anything to make it happen. Paul tells us it is by grace you have been saved. God says there is no deal you have to uphold. It's not if you do this, then you get into heaven for eternity with me. He says because I have already done this, you get to get into heaven for eternity with me. And as we jump back into our passage, Paul begins to explain what living in heaven will look like. He talks about seated at the right hand of God in heavenly realms. And we can see these incomparable riches of his grace. And we get a glimpse of what it might look like to live in heaven for eternity, praising our God and seeing our Savior face to face. But I want to jump down to verse 8. Paul continues to hammer home this point about how this all happened. For it is grace, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. If that sounds familiar to you, it should. You see it on the wall every time you walk in and out of here. It's that important that we put it on our wall. For it is by grace you have been saved. And in in his book, Anxious for Nothing, author Max Lucado, he writes, In the great trapeze act of salvation, God is the catcher, and we are the flyers. We trust, period. A flyer must fly and a catcher must catch. And the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. We trust, period. We rely solely on God's ability to catch us. And as we do, a wonderful thing happens. We fly. I love this illustration because it works so well with this passage. We can't do the work to get to God. And so we do what we talked about last week. The main thing that we say our mission is, we reach up. And we trust that God is going to catch us. Not only that, he's already caught us. And we've done nothing but just reach out. So as Paul finishes this section of his letter, he gives us another aspect of this all-important why. Why do we follow and worship Jesus? He writes in verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God made us. We are his children, and he put us here on earth to do good works. But also, he put good works in our path for us to do. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, such and such is made to do that. 
We all have that thing that we were made to do. And God put us here on earth to do that. Now, as you look at your own life, you may be thinking, I don't know, Brad. I I don't know if there's anything that I was put here on earth to do. I'm not really one of those special people. I don't know anything about the, the good works that God has put me here to do. And if that's what you're thinking, I need to point something out to you. Scripture doesn't say, for some people, are God's handiwork. And some of us were created to do some pretty cool things. No, it says we, as in all of you and me. You need to know that that is what Scripture says. Not Brad. Not just some guy talking. That is what God's Word says. It says you were created by Almighty God to do good works that nobody else is more qualified to do. Becky, you were created, and there is nobody else more qualified to be John's husband or John's wife than you. Christine, you were created to be Jimmy's mom. There's nobody more qualified to do that. My wife, there is nobody on this earth more qualified to be my wife than her. Now, these three women, their mothers and their wives, but that's not all that they do. But that is part of why they were created by God. I was created to be my wife's husband. We are created by God to do these things and so much more. Maybe you work well with numbers. Maybe you're the crafty type. Maybe you have the ability to talk to people and, and, and feel, make them feel at ease. Whatever gifts you have, use them for good. Use them for God. Because God created you to do exactly that. You know, the Bible, it contains a message of hope. And it contains a message of love. And it has something in there that a lot of people call the good news. But when we, when we read this passage that says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. It's blind, but now I see. When we read something like that, that's not good news. That is the best news ever. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you so much for today. Thank you, Lord, just for saving us. It is by grace that we have been saved, and thank you for that grace, Lord. There's nothing that we could have done to do that except to reach out for you. You are amazing. You are awesome. And thank you doesn't seem like enough, but it's all we have, Lord, and we love you so much. It's truly in your name that we pray. Amen.